Well, good evening everyone and welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. The good news is I was allowed back over the border after a weekend in Byron and doesn't that make Scott and Adam happy? Hello everyone, I'm James and we've got quite a lot to talk about this afternoon. Scott, stop smiling. Good to have you back hosting the show, James. How are you, Mr. McFranchise, fake football fan over there? How are you doing, Adam? Uh, yes. Yes, uh, we'll address that later, but we've got some other things to hear. But yeah, other than that been called that good oh please isn't that a badge of honor online now uh it normally it is apparently but uh yeah we'll, like i said we'll address that fair later. enough okay so if you are just tuning in for the first time this is a very odd occasion to be listening to the podcast for the first time but we're not one to judge actually yeah we really really are so this is the brisbane football review we're going to cover all things southeast queensland football related uh the raw a-league campaign NPL and a whole lot more and we're going to start off before anything else with our regular plugs which I almost completely skipped we have brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com for our email address and any comments questions show feedback all of that fun stuff and then we also have facebook the raw review twitter at bne football you can find live coverage of every raw senior match as well as select national premier leagues fixtures as well every weekend and on top of that, you can check out our NPL Sunday show featuring Pinky and Perpiky in my Skype screen. All right, let's move on. And, uh, well, we'll start off with, I don't want to say the raw huffing and puffing down in Adelaide. It was more like an asthmatic wheeze as they tried to defeat Adelaide United, ultimately falling short thanks to Craig Goodwin's 24th minute strike. Scott, it wasn't a fatal blow to the Raw's finals hopes, but it wasn't good, was it? It wasn't great, no. I mean, it was... It's kind of put them in a position now where they've got home games to come, which they're going to have to get points from, but it wasn't great. I think that, look, it's kind of understandable. It was the last game in a seven-game run or whatever it's been where they've played pretty much every three days, and they were they were flat, let's be real. Warren did make a number of changes in the team, and I can see why he needed to do it given the heavy schedule, but they were pretty flat, and it just didn't really quite click on the day for me. I mean... Had a couple of decent chances. Maybe, look, Joey's penalty was saved, but they just didn't really do enough for me, and it was just a flat performance, unfortunately. Yeah, it was just... It did look like a very tired team that, Adam, I'm going to use a phrase that I'm sure you're very familiar with. It looked like a side that was really paying the price from running their last few, running out their last few matches on heavy tens. Yeah, I was actually going to use another racing parlance. So they look, they look like a horse that's probably come to the end of their of their campaign. Now, hopefully, it's not the full campaign, but certainly this this stretch of seven games has really taken its toll. And I think you know, that, I think it'll be you know regeneration sort of stuff at training and whatnot ahead of their game on Friday night against Newcastle. Yeah, and I'm just doing a quick count here as well. It's one of the busiest um, fixture lists in the A League. So since April 28th, that 4-0 win over Central Coast, uh, they've played six matches in the space of, I want to say, hang on, how many days does April have? About uh, 17 days, or 19 days or something. So it has been a very 
hectic fixture list as the catch-up matches really played their part. And as you mentioned, Scott, there were a few changes to the side. You want to run through them while I go cough? Sure. So um, Alex Parsons and Cyrus Demi were into the side for their first starts of the year as James Coughs in the background. But yeah, Parsons and Demi were in from the start and so was Jesse Daly in place of O'Shea, Wenzel Halls and Denzaki. And when those latter two came on, it seemed like it was... It was still they were holding it, holding back until those guys came on around the hour mark and they were going to go for it for the last 30 minutes. And it just it just never quite panned out, did it? I mean, the, it, I can see the idea behind it, why you would take that approach, but... It just didn't quite work out in the execution phase this time. I'm never going to accuse Warren Moon or the Raw of essentially punting on a game, but it did feel like this was one that, in the grand scheme of things, they were probably okay with. If they had to lose, this was probably the one to do it, even though Adelaide is a rival for a finals berth, because well, I think we're all quite optimistic about the futures of Alex Parsons and Cyrus Demi, but throwing them into this match in particular... It did feel like a little bit of a, all right, let's just get some uh, fresh legs out there and hope for the best. Yeah, and no, I think that's what it came down to. You know, that the, the sort of the rotation was very limited between, you know, you know the midfielders in Akbari and Daly and, uh, and you know, Wenzel Halls and Masato Kudo. And other than that, the, the rest of the team has been pretty much, you know, been playing non-stop. So to have... Um, to have sort of you know, Parsons and Demi come in, it was sort of a bit more of an extension on that. But uh, yeah, it was a case of, you know what, let's see what the young guys can do. Maybe enthusiasm will carry on. Unfortunately, they couldn't you know, find a breakthrough. But um, yeah, look, they, they certainly weren't disgraced in, um, in their efforts. No, sure. there was definitely a fairly common uh, theme amongst those two. They did keep running. They did keep trying. But you could tell that they were youngsters still finding their feet in the professional game, as dominant as they have been at NPL level. Absolutely. It's an interesting one that they they chose to start them away to Adelaide. I mean, typically when you're going to give youngsters their first start, where you've got the option of choosing which game you're going to do that in, James, it's normally a home game. You think back, remember what Franz Tyson did towards the very end of that season where he had to basically throw away a couple of A-League games, which at that point, for the Roar in that particular season, were irrelevant, and played basically a full youth team. But that was two home games against Melbourne Victory and Newcastle. So it was interesting to see them to play away from... I thought it would have been great to see them play at home on Wednesday, actually, from the start, because I think the fan base would have really got behind that. When you've got young guys in the lineup, I think people automatically realize, right, they might make the odd mistake, but you're going to get behind the effort because that'll always be there. I thought that might have been the way to go starting them at home on Wednesday, but maybe that's just me. That's what I, would, I personally would have done, but... I can understand why you would think we've got to play the full team at home and then maybe sacrifice the road game. But at some point, something had to give, let's be real. I mean, the, the run the Raw have been on has been really, really tough. So they had to do it at some point and they chose to do it on Sunday. Yeah, ex- exactly. And look, overall, despite being beaten by Craig Goodwin, I thought the defence once again held up unbelievably well over the course of the 90 minutes where... With a team that is, you know, somewhat on its last legs, you could have easily seen them, you know, seen that score blow out into a 3-4-5-0, but I, I did think that the team acquitted itself quite well, and they did turn it into a little bit of an arm wrestle rather than an open, free-flowing match, and they still were able to play a lot of the match on their terms. Yeah, I think that's probably the one positive that you take out of this game, that knowing full well that, you know, maybe offensively they were a bit flat. At least defensively, they didn't, they kept the game sort of, you know, in check. 
probably could have and should have been one all if you know if it wasn't for let's face it, you know, a, a good save from um, James Delenio from the penalty spot. Um, so they did well to keep to keep to one nil because you're right. The, the temptation would have been, oh, we're at the end of the end of the sort of this current run of games. You know, two led like two three nil. You know, it's just put it on the case of oh, we're fatigued. But to still still put in and only go down by a single goal looked like that they could get something out of it right to the final whistle. Oh, I think that's actually an admirable performance. I think it's probably the one positive you can take out of it, despite. No, no, no points and pro result. That's pro undesirable. Exactly, and just on the penalty uh, as well. I thought it was very. It was a very good spot by the referee. I forget uh, his name, and that's probably a good thing because it means I'm not camping, at, wanting to camp outside with uh, torches and pitchforks. But it was a good spot seeing the ball hit uh, what I think Brenton Speed called the chicken wing uh, of uh, Ryan Kiddo. But it did spark the question as well. It made me realise. I have no clue who the Raw's penalty taker is because that was actually their first penalty of the entire season. Ben Abraham, the referee, by the way. But yeah, you're right. It was a really good spot to have picked that up. And like you, I had no idea who was going to take the penalty. I mean, we haven't seen one from the Raw for a very long time. So I had no idea who the takers were. I imagine if he was on the field, Jay O'Shea would have stepped up and taken it. Scott McDonald, while he was here, would have been a penalty taker. But... I would have had no idea who was going to take it out of that 11. So maybe Joey was as confident, stepped up, and it was it was a pretty good save from Delhi and Oz. So you got to give him credit for that. But I mean, it was that was the Raw's best opportunity of the game, really, when you think about it, to get a point out of it. It was a good save from Delhi and Oz to basically win the points for the Reds in that case. Yeah, and and also just on that as well, uh, I'm going to go back to one of my favourite sayings: "Give the keepers credit. It was a save, not a penalty miss." Obviously. You know, if you want to nitpick, I'm sure you could say that he could have placed it a little bit differently, but the keeper got to the right side and palmed it away well. So that that's all I'm going to say. Give the keepers credit. I'm actually surprised that maybe there's a hierarchy thing like that. I'm look, I would if if all being well, I would have got Cyrus Demi taken it. It's not like it's not like that he hasn't been taking penalties. Like he, a week ago, he he took a a well taken penalty against Logan. I know MPL, you know, in front of you know. 500 people, if that is very, very different than, you know, at, at Cooper Stadium. But you know what? Other than if, if you sort of mentally, if you are, you know, sort of, you know, switched on, it shouldn't matter. At the end of the day, the, the keeper's just got, has got to save the same amount of space, you know, as they do, you know, be it MPL or be it A-League. So look, maybe, maybe Joey was the one who stepped up, you know, and look, give credit to, um, to uh, Delenio for, for a great save. But, um, yeah, if, if there's still any questions about who should take it, I, know, I would have liked to see uh, Cyrus. To be up. honest, Chandis would have been my first pick of the bunch just solely because he probably was the most informed player on the pitch for the Raw, uh, outside of maybe Kai Truen. But if you, want an, if you want an alternate name, I actually would have thought Macaulay Gillespie. He's got that rocket of a right foot. He picks, he picks a corner and drills it. No keeper's getting across to it, unless they're the size of... Um, uh, Taco Fall from the Boston Celtics is about seven foot five. Well, he might be but, a better goalkeeper than a basketball player, by the way, because he hasn't done very much. <laughs> but I actually think Macaulay Gillespie might have been a decent shout out. He was the one I was thinking of as we were going through the squad in my mind. Normally, you get the experienced players to take it, don't you? It's not normally the young guys, even if they're good penalty takers at youth team level. It's always the experienced players who step up. So maybe Macaulay might take the next one if they get one this weekend. Who knows? You never know. Oh, look, I think it's also fair to say. 
you, like I, I'm not going to hold that one against Chantness. I think if he steps up and um, if he gets another penalty in the coming weeks, I'd have no drama seeing him uh, go and do it again. We well, usually usually it'd be Dylan that would take Dylan Wenzel Halls that would take it if uh, if he was on the pitch as Maybe well. Maybe even so, Rico. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, it, it was amazing though that being the first penalty of the of the Raw's season. They've they've given one up, haven't they? Or am I going completely? They've given up a few. Yeah. Okay. So they've given up a couple of penalties this season, but I don't, that is one of the weird things about Raw games in general. Going oh, going back the last few years. I don't remember them getting an awful lot of penalties compared to, like, just about every other club in the A-League. They're not like Adelaide, who got... Was it three in one game back in February? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they, it was, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those anomalies. It, it, it's probably... It's, it's it's probably hard, a long bow to draw saying that, oh, you know, the Raw don't... They, they get less penalties than me. It's just one of those things that... Oh. I can't. I honestly can't explain it. It's a bit like one one-headed goal in two hundred and ten in two hundred and ten games. Still, I can't explain it really. Yeah. So. And also on that regard as well, it's not like I can even think back and think of more than maybe two or three moments where I sit back and go, "That should have been a penalty this season." But anyway, let's hear from the uh, coach Warren Moon after the match as he spoke about the side's loss in Adelaide. Maybe you could look at that that way. I think. Uh... Adelaide were good in the first half. We, uh, you know, we set up a certain way based on the amount of fixtures we've had in the last few weeks. Um, but I was really pleased with the response. We got the penalty, didn't take it, had a couple of other near misses. Uh, and second half, I thought we were very good. I thought we were unlucky. We, without uh, being clinical, we had some moments and we controlled the majority of the second half. So what happened to Brendan uh, still unclear. I think at this stage, I think his uh, shoulder popped out. So um, yeah, we'll have to see how how sort of bad it is. But uh, haven't actually got the diagnosis just yet. Seeing it unleashed, in my opinion, you had your bench. It, for me, the better players that came on was that a plan? Yeah, I think I don't think we really had a choice. If I'm honest, you know, obviously the schedule's been quite heavy and. Uh, uh, there was there was going to be a game where we had to sort of rest Jay and uh, Riku and, and Dylan, so um, it just happened to be tonight. I thought the boys that played tonight did quite well at times uh, in the first half. Um, we disappointed with the goal to concede, uh, but we stayed in the game, and obviously when we brought those players on, we expected them to make an impact, and they certainly didn't. Uh, like I said, we're disappointed we didn't get the result, or, or a result in the end, because I felt like, uh, based on the second half as well, we, we probably could have got something out of the match. All right, thanks to... The Raw, FA, APL, etc. for that audio from Warren Moon. And good job, Scott, clipping that up. Um, yeah. When they did bring on the reinforcements about half an hour from time, I was optimistic, but also still quite wary about where this side was going to... what this side was going to be capable of. Because, truth be told, they just... It didn't look like they were really in possession of something that would give them that spark to try and get themselves back into the match. No, I think you're right. I also think the um, change they had to make right on half-time didn't help them either because not only did it force Jose to come on earlier than he probably was going to, I reckon he was probably earmarked for that 60th-minute substitute range as well. It saw them have to take off Josh Brindle South, who would have been absolutely someone who played the full 90 minutes, you would have assumed. So it forced them to completely reshuffle the way they were going to do it, but... Like you, I, I don't think it was quite there when the when they came on, was it? They were, they had a lot of possession and territory, but there weren't a lot of 
really clear-cut chances that they're all created in that final 30 minutes that said oh, they they were unlucky not to get a point. I think Adelaide actually deserved the win. So I, I think despite the Royals' possession, they didn't do enough in that final 30 minutes to me. I think the best I can remember them coming up with was the free kick laid on where, where Golgol won the free kick and Joe Shea's effort was parried around the post. I think that's about the closest they came in the second half. So even when they came on, I don't. I think it was flat from the subs as well. The impact you were hoping for wasn't quite there on that occasion. And again, when you played that many games in a short period of time, James, it's, you have to accept it's going to happen at some point. You can't stay at that peak for that long and not have a down downward blip. Absolutely. And even thinking back to the 2010-11 season when the Raw had um, all those catch-up fixtures to play, or what, was it even catch-up fixtures or was it just the A-League going for a bunch of midweek matches? I was just midweek games, but just on that team, the most remarkable thing that no one talks about about 2010-11, do you know how many players they used in that season, James, over 33 games? I'm going to say 28. It was 21. And one of those oh. was one of those was Andrew Redman, who played 20, 10 minutes off the bench. The other was, another was Chris Bush, who played 20 minutes off the bench in the final game of the year. So they got through the who? whole season. Chris, Chris Bush, captain of the youth team, who got an appearance in the final game of the year. So two players played one game in the final game of the year, which meant for 32 games they got through with 19 players. Remarkable. That was Talk about the perfect awful. storm. Yeah, that is an awful lot of luck because as we saw in the instance of uh, Brindle South, injuries happen. And what I, and this is probably something we'll get into a little bit more when it comes to uh, previewing Newcastle, but my like the final little uh, note I had on this game was the fact that the Raw, I thought quite smartly went to a back four rather than trying to uh, play a, def- a defender out of position in that uh, right wing back role. But overall, uh, I was a bit surprised to see Truen be the one to go to right back rather than Scott Neville. But again, that was just me. Yeah, and also as well, I think the uh, concerns will lead to another story later on. But um, but yeah, that uh, I'm I'm actually surprised that they went to Joe Shea so early uh, when you know they they would have had defensive cover in Jordan Courtney Perkins. So um, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't I don't think he is you know. To, to pretty much to change up the formation, it may have to do also as well with the um, with the game situation being down one nil. There's no point replicating the same old old formula. You know, if you uh, start to chase the game, there's, there's no point. You know, waiting till the 60th minute to change it up. You might as well go for it now because the situation as you know as bad as it was, and you know we wish uh, Josh Brindle South well you know, in in his recovery. Um, but but yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, no, that's sort of one thing that they, I think they really sort of mucked up the plans was was that injury. And um, I think, yeah, in a way, it, it's good to see that they actually you know, are versatile enough to go, you know what, let's go let's go a um, back four rather than sort of persisting and trying to play um, play that um, back well, three. Well, the only point I would have I would say as a counter to that as well is I'm not I'm not quite sure if you want to try and move two players out of their areas of comfort because. I think it's fair to say, based on what we've seen from Courtney Perkins, he is a left-sided player. So is Gillespie. And I would even go so far as to say that I think Brown's uh, impact on pla- uh, would be much lower playing down that right wing compared to having to function on the... Like how well he's doing on the left. So do you bring in um, Courtney Perkins, play him out of position at right wing back or right-sided centre back? and Or do you you know put him on the left side 
and force either Gillespie or Brown to play out of position on that side. And truth be told, I don't think Brown or Gillespie had done anything to uh, really warrant being forced into that uncomfortable role. I think you could do it. If you wanted to do it, you could do it really simply. You just push <laughs> Scott Neville or Kai Truen to right wing back, join the Courtney Perkins mm. into the back three. That could have been done. I think Warren probably did to Adams yeah. want to go to the back four to change it up, and it's like an understand. But if they wanted to do it, that's what they could have done. Yeah, Jordan Courtney Perkins can play, can play across the back. Like I said, le- it looks like that the left side is where he's preferred, but he he certainly has shown um, that you know he can play right across the back. So even if he had to go to go into that right back role, if that's a, if that was was the case, he still would have done it. He still would have done the job. Um, so so yeah, but um, but yeah, and like I said, Scott Neville has played right back as well. So that right wing back role. So yeah, but I, I got I got a feeling the reason why. Was not because I think if if they were one nil up, then I think that maybe that comes into the thinking. But being one nil down, there's no point waiting till the 60th minute. You may as well make your changes. I'll be there. honest, Adam. I like your uh, theory much better than mine, <laughs> and it's not very often I say that. <laughs> okay, so loss well, obviously up, not. Adam. I- clip it up. <laughs> the loss not ideal for the raw, uh, although they do still remain in sixth place. Uh, that puts them, my maths is correct, uh, four points behind fifth place MacArthur and pending the results of tonight's uh, Big Blue down in uh, Sydney, it could put them anywhere from five to seven points out of the uh, second place, which, look, it's still very much up for grabs, but it feels like now the Roar are in the position where they need to not only win out, but get a little bit of help from the rest of the league. Absolutely. That's it. sit there... We spoke about it on the show last week, James, when you weren't here, but the table was so tight between those teams from second down to ninth. But now there's a bit of a gap opening up, isn't there, which you mentioned from fifth to sixth, there's a game gap there now because teams, that gap's opened up. There's been a whole bunch of teams win against, like, big wins. The wins for MacArthur and Adelaide over the weekend were huge for those teams to be able to create that gap. So... That's what you're going to see now. They've now got the advantage. Now top teams like the Raw, Western Sydney, Wellington, to bounce back and close that gap up once again. So it's really... On this thing, we didn't mention it last week. It won't happen, but how good would it be if you could play these games like in the final round of the season at the same time? It won't happen. You've been following Vince Rigari's Twitter feed, haven't you? A lot of people have been saying it, but how good (laughs) would it be? Because there's there's four games there which would which are basically the teams from like third down to 10th, or there or thereabouts, which would be amazing if you could play them at the same time, but it won't happen. It, it w- yeah, actually the, one, actually, the one thing I'll, say, I'll, I'll sort of say that is that I think Raw actually have been very, very lucky with results that um, sort of results from you know, other games. Like I said, even you know, go as far as saying after... After that game on Sunday night, the fact that you know Andy Keogh decides to treat his birthday out with four goals—who who would have seen that coming—to to spank Western Sydney, uh, that 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 actually does help because if Western Sydney had won that game, all of a sudden the game against Newcastle becomes you know almost must-win for Raw's fault hope. And only a week ago we were talking about oh Raw had a free hit at second place, um, in the space of a week, and you know one point from three games. Uh, all, of a, all of a sudden, it's a raw again. Is the case of there are no certainties of making the finals. So, the the the, the league at the moment is so pa- tightly packed that you know you can go from potentially hosting, you know, having a buy in the first week and hosting, you know, at least 
uh, right through now to even missing out. So, yeah, we get, we're in for you know, a big month Absolutely. Ahead. And isn't it good we've got the final series to keep these final few uh, weeks of the A-League interesting? Because if it was just a solo, standalone premiership race, that could be over as early as Saturday night. So it's a good thing we've got a final series to give us something to stay interested in. Right, Scott? Would have been over three weeks ago. With the way Melbourne and, City have been playing, it's, a, it's ever- a straight fight between the second to tenth or whatever it is to see who's going to get the chance to take on Melbourne City in the grand final. Because at the moment, Melbourne City's in a league of their own, then you've got a whole bunch of teams who are yep. pretty even, then you've got the riffraff like Melbourne Victory and Newcastle making up the numbers. And it's a, good, it's a good thing we've got the final series because, yeah, otherwise everyone would have been complaining how boring it is watching Melbourne City and their title procession. Well, te- technically speaking as well, e- there's even some things out of the... Um, there's even some sort of, you know, impetus on, on the bottom four because uh, remember they've got an FFA Cup playoff as well between 9 and 12. So if you can get into 7th or 8th, you can go on Mad Monday early. <laughs> Everyone else, you've got games. Very, very true. So, and you know, at the moment, would Western United have four straight losses for them? Would they want to? Would they want to face Melbourne Victory for a FA Cup spot? I'm fairly certain that um, if they do happen to finish in tenth place, uh, their new manager would definitely not like an FFA Cup playoff against Melbourne Victory. Uh, with Steve, I, no, I got that. I got that. It was good. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Like yeah, it. you're right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So um, before we, uh, I just uh, there's one more point I want to pick up. We'll get back to, but just quickly, it's my week for the three two ones. Uh, three points, Kai Truen. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal, and I don't know what's gotten into him the last few weeks, but he's gone to a whole other level. Ramadak Bari. It was a you know rough afternoon for a lot of the squad, but he did keep uh, the engine room going as best as he could. And one point for Macaulay Gillespie because I like him, and well, he did quite well as well. So there we go, three two ones. And I did remember to bring them up this week, Scott. You've really changed your tune around Macaulay Gillespie in terms of about two years, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've got a much bigger sample size of seeing him play really, really well as opposed to uh, that yeah first preseason where he was getting run around by Penn Power. So, anyway, back to that final round thing, Scott. And I'm sure we'll bring this up in our final round preview, I guess we'll uh, wind up calling it. But... Yeah, the, fo- the round 24 fixtures, which are still all to be confirmed, but I'm assuming they'll be on the weekend of June 5th, 6th, 7th. Um, it is the Raw playing Sydney FC at Morton Daly, Newcastle Perth at McDonald Jones, Central Coast Western United at Central Coast, Adelaide hosting Western Sydney, a Melbourne Derby, which could be the least interesting Melbourne Derby of all time, and MacArthur Wellington at Campbelltown. Scott? Yeah, there's two games there which you can play standalone. You play the, one of the Newcastle game on the Friday night. Let Melbourne Derby be prime time Saturday night on its own. Then the other four games can be Sunday night, and you can have a post game show which you can include the fi- week one of the finals or midweek of the finals. Whatever you're doing in terms of that. So that's how I would personally do it. And they've done it before, actually. If you think back a few years ago, was it Champions League related when the Roar and Marins had to play? at the same time that was Champions League related right so it's been done before and it was really cool because I had the um, updates to the goals from from the other game as you were watching it so it it can be done but let's be real this broadcaster's not going to do it James they don't have unfortunately they don't have the amount of commentators to do it let's be real they've only got 
three play-by-play commentators and you need four to do what we're talking about so yeah and that's the thing like uh where do you send ben home in newcastle or central coast say you could yeah you send adam peacock to so it'll be homer peacock speed you could get zappers on the melbourne derby and you're still needing two commentators Gee, if only there was a commentator who would be willing to travel to Morton Daly Stadium. Have you got Simon hmm. Smell's phone number for us? <laughs> <laughs> Low blow, Scott. <laughs> oh. Anyway, well, uh, well to, to be honest, I'm fairly certain Simon would put together oh. one of the best, uh, pr- best commentary performances we've seen all season out of the Fox A-League coverage, so I would have no problem with that. Okay, maybe I would have a little problem with that, but that's just because I'm petty. That's what we're going <laughs> I didn't realise that shot would be there so effective, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Me either, actually. <laughs> I thought, uh, well, when you say something funny, it is a big surprise, so... <laughs> oh, there's there the equaliser, right into the top corner. <laughs> anyway, so what I was trying to get at, though, was... Let's just say Perth is still in the mix... Five of those games could have some form of meaning. So I don't see why you wouldn't try and load up the uh, fixture list. Maybe you play the Melbourne Derby on the Friday night, give City the absolute maximum rest, or you play it on the Sunday because whatever. Now uh, you have one game on the you have one game on the Friday, but otherwise it's all just yeah, loaded on the Saturday. And what's the best day of of Premier League of the whole year, James? Final, the final day of the Sunday. year, right? So uh, maybe not this abs- year. No, well, maybe not. But in general, it's, it creates the moments that people remember. So it'd be great if we could do it, but it's, we sh- we're wasting our time talking about because it it's not going to do it. I know, I know, but, um, well, we've got a bit of time to fill since we only have one match to cover. But since you're sick of it, Scott, why do you say we move on? Sure, let's talk about um, what we got next, the news? Ro- the news segment, Yes, right? absolutely. We've got the Raw Contracts update from Marco. This came out, I'm... From memory, was it Friday? Yeah, it was Friday. When he said, Jamie Young has been told he's a required player and he's going nowhere. Cool. However, Jordan Courtney Perkins and Isaac Powell are both set to possibly leave the Raw. And Courtney Perkins, I'm quite disappointed to see go because I do think he does have a future, especially if Gillespie does leave. However, Isaac Powell, with all due respect to the guy, he broke onto the scene, looked pretty good, but... Hasn't really done a whole lot of anything since um, What's-His-Face came here. Yeah, um, Isaac Powell, we'll discuss him first. Um, yeah, look, he's been limited sort of opportunities. The meteoric start, um, meteoric start, you know, to his career, you know, and just sort of really um, sort of has struggled. He's fallen down the pecking order a little bit. So I think a move for him actually probably would be quite good. As far as Jordan Courtney Perkins go, well, you know, we said this we said this weeks ago, and you know, you wanna you wanna hope that Patrick Flotman is going to sign here next year. Otherwise, we've pretty much sacrificed you know a junior soccerroo um, for for nothing because you got you got a feeling that this this talk about leaving has sort of come up ever since that you know the opportunity came where opportunity would have came you know with Tom Aldred out of the side that you know that. Jordan Courtney Perkins probably should have been the next in line and they go out and get a short-term signing and who played more minutes, albeit 28 minutes to six, but still, 
Yeah, and I, so I think I, I don't I don't blame him for wanting to have an opportunity, but I think this is a squandered one for the Raw. I think that you know basically, um, yeah, it probably sealed his fate that he probably wants to go go elsewhere. Yeah, this is exactly what we worried about, wasn't it? A few weeks ago, when we mentioned Patrick Flotman coming in. If it costs them Jordan Courtney Perkins, is it really worth it? And it may not. Maybe he may still resign. There is I think there is a connection there between Warren Moon yeah. and and Jordan Courtney Perkins coaching him at Churchy. So maybe there's still some possibility of him staying around. But this is what we feared could happen, and hopefully it doesn't happen because he's a great young player. And look, he's going to be a real star in the A League defensively if he stays in the A League. He'll be a really top tall defender. So hopefully he stays. Look, with Isaac Powell, I think he's been linked to Brighton and Birmingham with the under-23s. That might be a good move for him to get over there and test himself yeah. at that level, play, still playing junior football, which he's capable of doing at that age group over there. So that could be really good for him. And look, we never believed Jamie Young was going anywhere, did we really? Let's be honest. He had the, yeah. he, they, were no, they were not letting him go. So that one was a no-brainer. But hopefully they can keep hold of Jordan Courtney Perkins because he... If Macaulay Gillespie does leave, he's the ideal replacement in every single way. He's homegrown, he knows the system, knows the system and he's ready. So yeah. he's perfect yeah, for that so role. Yeah, so there's one thing... So the one thing I'll add about Jordan, Jordan Courtney Perkins, if it's an opportunity to go overseas, then that's a different story. But I mean, if he winds up you know, at another club in the A-League, boy, yeah, there's going to be he, help. If he winds up playing for Melbourne Victory, which, let's be honest... Yeah, Melbourne Victory don't know how to recruit anywhere but Queensland. I honestly think like that's going to you know give the fan base cause to you know riot, and it absolutely. And I I think we could all agree. You said it there, Scott. Like Courtney Perkins has shown absolutely no reason why the Raw should be shouldn't be thinking that he's an option. However. If they retain Macaulay Gillespie and it comes at the expense of losing Jordan, Jordan Courtney Perkins, because that's where the equation kind of boils down to for me, is you can't have both of them. I would, given the choice, even at the higher price, I'd probably prefer to bring in Gillespie because, you know, Courtney Perkins, let's be honest, you keep him for a year or two, he's probably going overseas as well anyway. Yeah, I would probably go the other way, actually, and that's no comment on Macaulay Gillespie. It's just, I think the raw will need attacking reinforcements, and the best way to do that is to open up some cap space to be able to do it. And if you can get a young defender like Jordan Courtney Perkins to go in there alongside Scott Neville and Tom Aldred in part of the back three with Corey Brown on the left-hand side as well, that's a lot of experience around there to help get him up to speed in terms of taking his first steps as a regular A-League professional player. So that's the way I would personally go. But if they can keep McCauley Gillespie, James, I can understand why you would go down that path. I, I, want, I want to paraphrase the older Paso girl and say, why can't we have both? That would be that would be ideal. Sure, sure enough, the cap space isn't isn't that much that to keep to keep both around. Um, like even even if you know McCoy Gillespie asked for more than what he's getting now, I don't I don't think Jordan Courtney Perkins at this stage would be would cost that much. Where it's a case, it's not it's not Barisha and and Roach and make having to make that choice. Like I said, I'm sure you probably could keep both, but. Um, yeah, then that's what I'd be aiming for first. If you can't, then yeah, I'd look. I, I, I probably would lean towards keeping Gillespie, but like I said, plan A, B, and C have got to be try and retain both. It's not financial, Jay Adam. It's it's playing time. No, yeah, it's, that's what it's not. It's not about the money. It's about the playing time. You can't play both. 
And on the, not, in, not in that left-sided centre-back role in the back three. You can't play both. And until we get the issues around the salary cap transfer system, hell, even squad size, it's really hard to commit to too many players beyond the end of this season just because we don't know what it's going to look look like. But anyway, speaking of attacking reinforcements, um, there was a quote from Dylan Wenzel-Halls that, again, uh, I might have to ask you to expand upon, Scott, because I actually missed this in the hoopla of... Late, uh, later in the week from Dylan Wenzel-Halls about... It was in the same article. It's basically a one-liner at the end of the thing saying that he wants to test himself on the market. Again, that's <coughs> probably... I reckon it's probably another... We talked about a few weeks ago. Agent plant stories. It's probably another one there, to be honest. Uh, I, I, of, course, of course he wants to test himself on the open market. Who wouldn't? To be honest, having seen... It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean he's going to be going anywhere. No. However, I wouldn't be surprised if Wenzel-Halls probably knows where he stands in terms of uh, the Raw squad and as it, like one of the promising young fi- uh, fixtures of Australian football going forward in the A-League, I'm sure he knows that there w- would be some value for him ar- not only around the competition but possibly going abroad as well and he may want his next contract to reflect that. Look, uh, again, with, with all these players, it, it, it's, a, it's a different story between you know going abroad and you know going to another A-League club. And you know, if, if he, if he you know, at his age, is able to secure a professional contract overseas, he goes with my blessing. Any player, any player that is under the age of 25 at the moment, if they are given an opportunity to go overseas, then they go with my blessing as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, as far as, you know, yeah, when you've got, when you've got teams like Melbourne Victory, who have had a pretty you know, bad year, they're always going to they're always going to throw around you know offers, especially when you got someone like Tony Popovich, who is unattached to a club at the moment. So there's going to be a case of you know him throwing around offers everywhere, and you know it's it's probably his right you know to test himself in the market. You know again, it's a case of you know whether he goes or not, or whether he's signalling to the raw to say, oh, I think I deserve more money on my next contract. Well, that's that it is what it is. But um, yeah, it, it, it'd be interesting to. It'd be interesting to see you know, where, where that comes up or whether it's one line that was just you know, tacked onto the end of a story. And let's be honest, victory of their out in the market for everybody at the moment because they need absolutely mm. everything. That team is... Yep. It's a club which believes that they should be at the top of the table, where they believe they should be, and they're in the market for absolutely everybody. So of, they're, yep. they're going to start at the top of the market and work their way back, and Dylan Wenzel Halls would be at the top of the market in terms of attacking players in this competition. If you're going to bring in an attacking player from another A-League club, you're going to want one who's young, proven he can do it, and has got room to grow in the future, and he ticks all those three boxes. So, of course, he's going to be a wanted player, and it doesn't surprise me that he would want to test what he's worth. Absolutely. Um, There was a stadium-related story that came out on Tuesday as well, um, with the AFL somehow convincing the government that they needed $100 million for a women's stadium and training base out at Springfield. So two, thing, two things yes. jumped out at me from this. It's amazing that there's money out there for stadiums after Stadiums Queensland told us that the Stadiums Queensland-operated stadiums in Queensland were fine and there was no need for new stadiums in Queensland that wouldn't be operated by Stadiums Queensland. And two, when do we hear the Lions uh, fans say that Springfield is too far to travel? Let's 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 address the second issue first. Um, yeah, exactly. 
Um, exactly the case. Uh, the, the trip from CBD to Springfield is about 38k. It's so it's 33k's, I should say. The trip out to Redcliffe is about 38k's. About same same amount of time by train from the CBD. So. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, um, it will be probably the women's team that will be, that will be playing all their competition games out at the newly christened Brighton Homes Arena um, when, when, it's, when it's completed. So, whereas I think, obviously, the men, the uh, men's team will play at the Gabba. So, that's probably where it's sort of inoffensive and whatnot. And, you know, at the end of the day, if it's free tickets, then who's going who's gonna to complain about free yeah, tickets? Yeah, it's amazing how far people will go for a free ticket, right, Scott? It is, and let's be real. When the AFLW play big games up here in Queensland, like finals, if they get get any, they'll also be at the Gabba. So this is regular season games out there. It's there's been a lot of pushback on taxi from the football community up here, and it's predictable and understandable. But and it's, it is, and look, as we said on social media last night, football needs a home up here. That's not new. We've discussed that a lot. But the one thing the AFL do really, really well, whether you like it or not is they have a unified, united voice, James, when they're campaigning for these things, not just in Queensland, but everywhere around the country. They're really, really good at at politicising these issues and getting governments on side and, and bending the ear and getting what they want. So the lesson here for football is that we need a unified, united front. And maybe it's happening behind the scenes, but you need a combination of the raw football Queensland and football Australia in together pushing for a, a, a um, home for football here in Queensland if we're going to get one. And maybe it's happening, but that's what it's going to take because that's that's the one lesson you can take from this is the sports who are really good at it can get it get it through, whether it's politically popular or not. I think it comes down to is that we as football in general don't know what we want in Queensland. Do we want a stadium just for the raw? Do we want a... Yeah, a a home of football which will house every level of of you know, of football administration plus our high performance plus that do we do we want just a small boutique stadium you know in the middle of the city to appease all those that couldn't be bothered traveling more than 15 minutes you know we we don't know and and when we don't know as a constituency about you know what we want from the government then the people who are speaking on our behalf don't know what to present to the government, and obviously as well, it's all about timing as well. With this, with, with this, um, with unveiling, you know, the finalisation of the project out of Springfield for the AFLW. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool when you know, you can go around trotting around the AFLW uh, Grand Final Cup around with it for the photo ops. So, and that, and the same happened with Nissan Arena as well. That that came on the back of when the Firebirds had that. You know, I've got to say it was an awesome you know series of Grand Finals against um. The, Yes, New South Wales Swifts all those years ago. You know, I think it's about the only time I actually cared about um, about netball, and and like I said, and that was the that and they used that as an opportunity to um to to get Nissan Arena. Now that's one of the, probably one of the best indoor f- facilities in Brisbane, if it's not the best. So it's just, it's just a matter of getting that one common voice for football and actually understand what do we actually need need, and then what do how much is it going to cost, and then going to the government, not just. The state government, also the federal government, because both levels of government were the ones that were supporting that. It's not hard for the Redcliffe Dolphins, you know, to actually have, you know, you know, both levels of government represented. You know, Stephen Miles and Peter Dutton, who pretty much hate each other across the policy, they were there to support the Redcliffe Dolphins. That's the sign of, you know, of, of rugby league being able to line their ducks in a row and have 
the complete political spectrum, you know, support them. We in football don't get that yet. We we pick and choose, and we may be even waiting for a change of government before we can, you know, get get in there. Like I said, but we need to know what we want, and we've got to go with a clear message. And I don't think we have that. No, tomorrow. and this is arguably. Uh, well, actually, before or I get onto that. There was a thing in the future of football plan that uh, FQ released last year talking about getting a boutique stadium and a home of football and uh, working with the Raw, I believe, to try and get that in place. This is surely where Rob Cavallucci and David Pure really need to, for lack of a better phrase, earn their pay. This is where they need to, you know, put, put their heads together, use what we assume is, you know, some very strong business sense and whatnot, to put a case together and say, this is what we want, this is how much it will cost, and this is when we need it by. Because I've said this for God knows how long on this podcast, the Raw will not get a stadium just for their own use. They cannot justify spending $100 million of public money on a stadium that's going to get used at most, what, 20 days a year? Maybe if it's got a training field attached and an office space and whatnot, it might help out. But you're not going to get the space for that in the CBD. And to be totally honest, you need to probably team up with something as well because every venue now needs to be multi-purpose. Obviously, the Lions Stadium is also going to be, as you uh, corrected me on yesterday, Adam, saying that it's going to be a training hub and uh, office space as well. You cannot yep. just have a standalone stadium. You need more. To, you need more to it than that. And look, you could very easily wind up. With, F, with an FQ stadium, look, it's uh, chances are you're never going to sell out 10,000, 15,000 for the NPL Grand Final. But I, the big problem for the Raw now is like we're seeing 2,000 people showing up to Redcliffe. And look, you can blame it on the weather. You can blame it on the fixturing. All those are reasonable qualifiers to make. Unfortunately, even though Redcliffe is a significant financial saving for the Raw... They can't be happy with 2,000 people, whether it's on a Wednesday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, no matter what day of the week it was, no matter if it's raining sideways or perfectly clear and 20-odd degrees. 2,000 fans is not enough. But the big problem I have is, if the thousands of Raw fans who have said that Redcliffe is too far to travel didn't spend the last decade plus saying kickoff times, the weather, food, or anything else about Suncorp was too inconvenient to show up, the Raw never would have had to have left Milton. They wouldn't be playing out there if you hadn't have nitpicked your way into just completely avoiding Suncorp Stadium at all costs. So for all the issues that you know fans may have about having to travel over to up to Adam's neck of the woods, they need to accept their own role in the matter as well. Because all I keep hearing, 6.30 is too early, 7.30 is too late, the food's too expensive, it's too hard to get there, it's too hard to get back. At some point, you've just got to stop making excuses and realise, hey, maybe I'm just not as invested as I like to claim I am online. Yeah, that's true. Um, to quote the um, departed FFA CEO David Gallup, you fish where the fish are. And at the moment, Redcliffe's not working for the Raw in terms of the crowds, is it? I mean, you look at the... Um, the big the big selling point was the atmosphere, and it was a game which you two you weren't able to get to because you were away, but... It was the selling point of the Melbourne City game last year where they came from behind and won and the atmosphere was great. And I think that was probably when the decision was made. How fantastic is this? If we could get this every single week, it would be amazing. Well, they got it once this year, didn't they? The first game of the year when they had a pretty close to full crowd, it was a good atmosphere. 
even the last few games on the weekends, I've been about 50% capacity, if that. So the crowd numbers have dropped off in Redcliffe. And that's, that's the reality of it. The crowd numbers have dropped off. And we mentioned, would the um, community up there in, in, on the peninsula pick up the slack and take up the seats that were available? And they haven't jumped on board fully either. So it's the crowd numbers aren't working in Redcliffe, and they are a problem. But to, on the issue of the stadium, I think the FQ idea of getting Perry Park to be renovated, it's a long shot, but it might be the best the best hope, James, to get a three-sided stadium there, which holds about 12,000. Maybe you could get that off the ground. I don't know, but that might be the best-case scenario. Like you, I, I struggle to see how there's a resolution to this. Everyone brings up the Olympics, right? Well, a lot of the Olympic plans have been announced. They've announced that they're going to upgrade the Gabba. They announced that the thing at Albion Park is not happening. They've, they've, they've said where the football is going to be played out in Ipswich at an upgraded North Ipswich Oval if they get the NRL bid and on the Sunshine Coast. And they're the two, two venues down here along with Suncorp. They've, made, they've announced that what's happening. They've, they've, they've put in for the fact there's going to be a um, the facility at Morton Bay as part of the Women's World Cup bid. I think I think the time is actually running out to get this thing done. Yep, I, I agree. Because uh, you can't, there's only so much money available for sporting facilities to go around and it seems like decisions have already been made. So if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen pretty quickly. And for me, if, if football can't get a stadium out of their World Cup in 2023 or the Olympics, that is a massive failure and a massive indictment on the powers that be because you've been handed essentially a golden ticket here and you've essentially let the uh, big kids push you out of the way. It basically comes down to if we don't get, if we don't get something from 2023, well, then the legacy is failed. It's as simple as that. Um, it might be the, the the angle might be at the moment the best angle might be you know be on the back of the Matildas or back on perhaps you know a successful winning a successful Raw team that might be the only way because it seems like at least for this government that's, that's in power in Queensland at the moment the women's angle seems to be the most compelling angle and we've got the best adverse of it all that is the 2023 World Cup so if we cannot get something something out of that to support the whole of football Post-2023, well then, as far as I'm saying, the legacy is a failure. And then what's the point of having it? It's a failure in terms of facilities, Adam. It won't be a failure in terms of young girls playing Oh, absolutely. Game. Yeah, no, From I'm a just, facility just point of view, infra- I agree with you. Yeah. Now, in the infrastructure of PRISM, yes, it'd be a failure. Like I said, it's already a success. It doesn't matter from here on in the, in the big picture. It's already a success that we, we got the World Cup. And we're just going to actually just put it on and do a job that we know that as Australians we can do. And it'll be a success. But as far as we can talk about legacy and inf- and infrastructure that, that goes beyond that, yeah, if we can't get anything out of it, that will be a failure. I think, well, I think uh, the stadium is the only thing that's going to stop it being a temporary sugar hit. I think, I, I know Adam and I have both expressed our massive scepticism over the long-term future of AFLW when they actually have to start standing on their own two feet with paying crowds and whatnot, and also the online audience who just pretend to follow it to appear like a good person, eventually, eventually that sugar hit from the 2023 uh, Women's World Cup is going to wear off. And sure, you might have facilities, sure, you might have certain things, but it's just not going to really work the way... It's not going to work out. That, that's all I can really say on the matter. We need to move on. 
Um, the Oli Roos. No, no Brisbane player has been named in the squad for the Spain training camp. The only A-League players that have been named coming from the Jets and Melbourne Victory who will not be involved in the A-League finals, which means we're not going to give it a whole lot of time. But uh, fair decision, Adam? Yeah, yeah, no, I could. I think I said it on my social medias, which is which has sort of got me in trouble now. Other areas um, is is that uh, yeah, basically, it just like it was up to the uh, clubs to to release players, and I don't blame the other you know ten clubs for not releasing players. You know, like I said, it's still got finals campaign. I would have been really, really mad if uh, if Brisbane Raw said, oh, we'll just let Joe Champness and Dylan Winslow Halls and perhaps a Kai Truen, who I think those three players are certainly in the frame for that, to go off to some camp in Spain. There would have been an embarrassment. So I- I'm glad that you know, at least the FFA realise that, and Graham Arnold as well, his team, understand that, you know what, there is still a final series to play out. Therefore, don't interrupt this. Take the players that are available and get the preparations okay. underway. Okay. Scott, I'm assuming you agree with that based on your facial expressions. Yep. We need to move on yeah, to Adam's uh, Adam's oh, stuff. So, um, I'm just warming up here. <laughs> okay. Scott, I'm going to let you introduce this because uh, you're the one that has been itching yeah. at bringing it up for the last hour. Yes. Yeah, so this is called Adam and Common Sense against Mick Mike and his mates. And you set this off by mentioning something, didn't you, Adam, on the weekend on social media, which they didn't necessarily agree with about the... Um, I think it was something on the lines of it was a story shared out about the um, A-League clubs fearing the championship because of the fact that the um, the players would be taken away, or the young players would go and play in that and not be part of youth teams. And you responded to that and you got called a um, Mick Franchise fake football fan, which is what I've always known you to be. So I thought I don't see what the problem is. I thought it was a perfectly accurate description. Isn't that right, James? I, I hate that uh, imaginary football. Uh, right. Let me let me uh, compartmentalise this. You guys uh, take it easy for a sec because I'm on the com here. But, yeah, look, quite, quite simply, you know, this just shows the level of fanaticism and defensiveness that is going on with this second national second division. Because the point I was trying to make was simply not that I'm an anti, um, anti-national second division or a, let me quote again, a fake football McFranchise customer has reportedly been spied seemingly ignoring the self-interest of fake football and how it continues to damage. Instead, he chooses to spread misinformation. Where was now, the misinformation there? McMike, I thought that was an opinion, not a fact. But anyway... Yeah. He also he also said exact location coordinates remain unknown because I've got the bastard blocked on on my on my social media because I can't stand the crap that comes out of his mouth on Twitter because he's a he's a he's an absolute loony. However, so I'm sure if someone would like to pass on this message from from me to McMike because I'm not going to unblock him because like I said my Twitter timeline you know is too precious to worry about idiots like him. But simply, I wasn't having a go at the National Second Division itself. I am a big supporter of the National Second Division. However, am I and a lot of other people that think like me uh, have the right to question the financial viability of that. And that, you know, even though there is a progress report from the AAFC come out in January 2021, who, by the way, we're supposed to have had an update a month ago, 
but we haven't seen anything. Must be the COVID shutdown or some excuse like that. So I'd be interested that basically from a financial point of view, I can't see how this is viable. And that was the question I was asking. Prove your viability. The reason why I worry about the, about the National Second Division destroying Australian football is not because I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think the, the pyramid is a, is a brilliant idea. It's something that's been sorely needed for a decade. However, we can't just go and say, oh, we, we, we want it to happen in two years and then for a collapse a year later because half the clubs either cannot afford it or it's just, or that it's just financially unviable where they have to shut it down to save clubs going out of business. That's what I was complaining about. Not, oh, I hate the idea. And then that goes for the same as Dean Rosario as well. He wants to then Mr. Sort of, you know, badger say, you, you, yeah, you. That... Oh, I ain't got the answers because if I did have the answers, I would be in Nick Galatis' shoes. I'm just a pundit that just, it's just asking the question simply about, is it financially possible to happen? Because reading the report... It is a, it's solely reliant. The revenue, 75% of the revenue, it's going to come from the pockets of the clubs. It's going to, 75%, the participation fees is what the projected, is what, 75% of the projected revenue is going to come from. I don't know of a club in Queensland that could, could find $125,000 each above their operating costs at the moment to be able to fund this. Look, there may be, there may be clubs in Victoria in New South Wales that can do that. And then what would lead me to believe is that, you know what? There's no club outside those two clubs that could even afford to play in this competition. And some may, and some may say so, the ones no, in Victoria and the one thing, actually sorry, one still thing, can't. One more, one more thing. One more thing. I just want to address the whole comment from McMike about a closed shop. Yeah, the A-League may be a closed shop, but is it also, isn't this what this championship is? A closed shop for clubs that can afford it? Because you may, the, the, there may be vague references about, oh, that the, the National Second Division, you know, can, um, that will then feed into the 16-team, into the NPL below it. But if you can't afford it, then you're not going to play. So isn't that a closed shop? So, yeah, like I said, Mr. McMike, the hypocrite, as long as it's his closed shop, then it's fine. But when it's, South, then it's his team of the century, team of the century that's not involved, oh, it's a crime. So, now what? All, all I'm going to say about that, and I appreciate you guys letting me get this off my chest, is that, you know what? The fact that they're so, so defensive about it, and actually can't come out with answers about the financial viability other than this progress report, that's, that's red flags for me as far as I'm concerned. And by the way, we're down to four Queensland clubs now. Two of them will probably not even be in the second tier by, by the time this season's out, real great representation for this for this state, yeah. isn't it? And on that is Mike yep. Drop. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, look, I'm going I'm going to take on the unenviable task of trying to follow that up, Adam, and just say on, <laughs> on that as well with uh, what's his face uh, Rosario or what is it called? The master yeah. of that's literally not what misery of turning it into an argument of that's not what I said, but keep arguing your point anyway uh i think i call it i'm sick of your circular debate yeah. uh, i remember i said something about last year say the um like the a complaints about the a-league finals um would be replaced by the final few rounds of the regular season are boring and he 
decided to argue that that's not a true champion if you don't have finals. That's literally. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't always like um, singling out people and calling them out by name. But this one, you know, this one really. It struck got, a nerve. It really sort of got me because yeah, it struck a nerve because like basically, um, they're them getting so defensive about it when I'm simply asking, well, we don't want something that's going to destroy the whole of football because it's not financially sound. That yeah, that's for me. <laughs> yeah, well, on that as well. So the first point I. My first point I continue to make is, yeah, similar to that, I severely, I've severe doubts about where all this money is going to come from. I'm sure they've got, you know, sponsors and everything uh, that they'll be able to dig up out of the blue, just like how Chelsea gets its uh, sponsorship money over in England. But for me, the big thing is the people saying just let the clubs go for it and see what happens they're happy to see the games that are linked with the history of football in Australia fail if they overstep their boundaries trying to get established in the National Second Division. They're happy to see them disappear just for the sake of an ego trip, just so that they can say, oh, look, we've got an alternative to the A-League. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not supporting football in Australia, whatever level it's at. Can you imagine, like, pick any NPL club, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, wherever. Can you imagine some of those historic clubs that have been around far longer than any of us and will probably continue to be around far longer than any of us say they go and you know take i can see i can see a handful of clubs failing to be able to continue operations if they're uh going to the national second division because i just don't see where all this money is going to come from if the clubs are being asked to find all the funding themselves and look let's like and we will admit you know the a-League club that we support has had its share of financial dramas in the past. However, yeah. we, we continue to hear the stories about how dodgy some of these clubs are down south, about how they just don't pay players. Like You don't need to go up, go and look online about some of those stories about dismissals and whatnot to know that this isn't, actually, this isn't a squeaky clean industry. So let's not pretend that you're dealing with angels here. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned... Like, the, the most common refrain we always hear of, just let them go do it, what's the worst that can happen? Well, you're going to lose a big piece of history then. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. 
Absolutely. That's that's the best way I can sum it up. Um, and obviously, the talk of the AAFC clubs is that, you know, they want to just be let off the lead and allowed to pursue it. Well, they can go deal with uh, Football Australia for that. However, I have a game for uh, the listeners ahead of next week's show. We, the three of us did this earlier today. I want you to go and look at the member clubs on the AAFC website and tell us what issues you can spot with those clubs. In particular, the list from Queensland. You can get in touch with us, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Comment on the Facebook post for this uh, podcast or respond to us on Twitter. Find the issues with the listed clubs on the AAFC website. It's not with all of the clubs. Some of them we do think would make very solid participants in the national second division. However, there is an issue with the list and I want to see who's paying attention. So, um, if you want your NPL recap, go listen to our NPL Sunday show featuring interviews with Ben Khan and a whole lot more. We need to get on with our match preview for Newcastle against Brisbane on Friday night. And look, the Raw, they're struggling, winless in their last three they need a confidence boost. What better way to get that back than a trip to Newcastle? Scott? Can I see my time to the McFranchise fan? I'm just kidding. Look, I agree with you. They have to win this game, don't they? <laughs> They've got to win this game. I mean, it's probably the easiest game left on the schedule for the Raw. They're looking at the table. This is a game they've got to win. They've got some issues, obviously. Josh Brindle South is unavailable. He won't be playing. We know that. Jack Hing gets out. So there's a vacancy on the right-hand side. How they fill that actually will be quite interesting. They could go with Anthony Burke Gilroy, who was signed as cover for Jack Hingott, who we actually saw incidentally at Spencer Park on Saturday night, so so shout out to Jack, but they could go with Anthony Burke Gilroy. Or do they slide Scott Neville or Clyde Truen out there and maybe bring back Tom Aldred, who from all reports is pretty damn close to being fully fit. You imagine Tom Aldred's going to play. right? He's the captain, he's close, it's a must-win game. If it's 95% of the way recovered, you'd imagine he'll be out there. I'll be intrigued to see who plays at right wing back. I have a feeling it'll be Neville. I'm going to guess Hashan Ramazani. Well, that that would be great. But um, yeah, also they're going to have to make a change up front as well because no Joe Champions for this game because of his parent club um, loan agreement. So he's going to he's going to miss out. So. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they how they go with that, whether they go, say, for example, with uh, Denzaki, Kudo, and Dylan Winslow-Halls up front, or where they try uh, Cyrus Demi again, or Alex Parsons. So there's plenty of uh, moving parts to this. It'll be interesting to see, especially after a five-day break, which seems like you know, a very, very refreshing time for, for this side at the moment, to see actually how they, um, how they line up, because there's a couple of forced changes, and that will make things very very interesting as far as you know now before the game who on who actually starts yep absolutely and it is kind of getting back to where it was a couple of months ago where we were wondering what the best combination is for the raw and without chance it does open up at least one spot as well and i would assume that uh wenzel halls and dantaki will be in from the start i will assume jay o'shea will be in from the start but it does leave that third attacking option uh spot wide open and Again, we could see Parsons or Demi get the call up, or they could wind up playing goal goal Mabratu because his goal uh, earlier this season did come at this venue, although not against his opponent. It did a good header actually against uh, Wellington Phoenix down there. 
I think it'll probably be Masato Kudo. I think they'll have Dylan on one side, Riku on the other, and I think that's probably the way to go. I don't, I don't. I think they'll want to keep the young guys for impact in this game, is the way I view it. But yep. I wouldn't be against seeing Cyrus Demi start. I mean, he did pretty well actually against Adelaide. Adelaide was a pretty tough spot to throw him in for his first start. In only his second, third, third appearance for the Raw, so it was very, pretty of a rough way to throw him in, but. He did pretty well. I wouldn't be against seeing him again, but I think it'll be Masato Kuda, who I was actually surprised wasn't involved at all on Sunday. That's surprising. He played the City game, didn't he? And did, wasn't involved against Western, wasn't involved against Adelaide. So unless he's picked up an injury we don't know about, I would, I'd would i be surprised if he wasn't involved in this game. Definitely. Adam, uh, who would you throw into that last attacking role? Um, I, look, I agree, I agree with Scott. I think uh, Kudo up front and... Um, Riku and uh, Dylan Winslow Halls on um, on either side. I think that uh, opens up a lot of options. Um, like I said, but and you got the young boys plus uh, potentially Golgol Maradu as a um, as impact rather than that. But I think that's probably the most stable as far as you know for the first sixty minutes goes as far as yeah you know, their best lineup. But also as well you now on the other hand, yeah, Newcastle they'll be desperate to get something out of this. Uh, they're having a rough old time. And they're still and they're still sort of wanting to fight out. You know out of that uh, wooden spoon spot. They, they they weren't too bad against Central Coast Mariners in the derby. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was the F3 derby, so you just throw form out the window. But um, they, they would fancy themselves a chance to, you know, if they're going to win a game, you know, in this run home, this might be one. So I think Raw have to be careful of the ambush. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. But before we do that, a final question, as always, Scott. What are we going to be talking about this time next week? I think Riku and DWH will put the Jets to the sword. Adam, what are we going to be talking about this time next week? Raw pick up three very, very valuable points. Uh, you know, it's the run to the finals. And I'm going to say the Raw score a penalty this week in a win over the Jets. And I'm also going to say we will be talking about an excellent weekend of NPL football coming up. So if you are in Southeast Queensland and looking for something to do this weekend, get out to one of the local grounds, look up the fixtures. There's a whole lot of action coming your way, so make sure you get out and support local football as well. That's going to be it. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, James. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, guys. And thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm glad to be back after my wedding-enforced hiatus. Not mine. I was just a guest. And we'll have a whole lot more coming your way on the next edition of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then.